0: Well, today is the celebration of the baptism of our Lord, the baptism of Jesus. Uh, in that Advent series that we'd been doing, they, they had a little addition to it, uh, which is, it went. You could actually, they actually included some artwork for today. And this piece is simply called Beloved. Uh, I love it because it's such a different way of portraying Jesus' baptism than what you usually see, which is, of course, Jesus standing halfway in the water, John baptizing him, a dove up above, which is probably pretty close to what actually happened and how the story is. But this one tries to take you a little bit more symbolically into it, take you a little bit deeper into it. Uh, And uh, I don't know if that necessarily makes it better, but there are probably few topics in Christian theology that have caused more theological disputes than baptism. Uh, Because as you know, know, there's a huge divide to this day in Christianity over whether you baptize babies or whether you do a believer's baptism, right? Where you say that the person can't be baptized until they reach a certain age. And that kind of depends on which church you're in. Some will say 13, some will say more. And then you have to make a personal confession of your faith. Uh, you usually have to say the formula, I accept Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. It's a great formula. It's not in the Bible. Uh, but, um, and then, of course, you have us Lutherans, Catholics, the Coptics, the Orthodox, all of us kind of old, foggy uh, uh, religionists over here baptizing babies. And so many books have been written about it, you could fill libraries. Our own Martin Luther was, shall we say, strongly opinionated on the issue. (laughs) And at one point, they even tried to get him and some of the, the Baptists at the time to, the princes were like, come on, you guys, can't you get along? And Luther just wouldn't. He just kept unloading on them. You're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. He was not a bridge builder, shall we say. Uh, most of the baptisms in the Bible are adult baptisms. But how baptism is done in the New Testament is kind of all over the map and, and highly inconsistent. Uh, there's, you know, yes, most baptisms were, were adult. Christianity was new. But you also have passages where it will say, And so-and-so came to the Lord, and his whole household was baptized. Well, that would have included that babies and kids and everybody. So there are clearly adults being baptized, and there are babies being baptized. There is a baptism of the Spirit. There is a baptism where you get baptized, and then sometimes you don't get the Spirit, but then they do it again to get the Spirit. It gets a little bit messy. And then, of course, you need, you need to enter the theologians to sit and ask hypothetical questions like, If you were were on an airplane and it crashed in the middle of the Sahara Desert and there was no water around, but you wanted to become a Christian, could you be saved if there was no water to baptize you with? I'm like, who who has the time to think of these things? Um, Yeah, a gracious God is not going to sit there and go, you know, you were two miles short of the oasis, so to hell with you. But, you know, or the questions, you know, the questions that really that used to be asked uh, that and maybe some of you can remember this time, I think there are still congregations that believe this, that really say you cannot be saved without baptism, without the actual act, you cannot be saved. And so, you know, if there was a woman in the hospital, and it was a complicated delivery, you know, the pastor would get called. Boy, you were that pastor. You, you better get in that car, drop what. You better drop whatever every yard work you were doing. And the tires better be squealing out of that driveway. And you better run every red light. You better jump the tracks at Cortaro. You better get your butt to that hospital. Because if you don't get the water on that baby's head, before the breath stops, boom, no salvation. I'm like, what kind of God do you worship? And that's where we start getting, well, let's have nurses do it. Right, and uh, you know, I'm not against nurses doing it. I'm against believing that, that that is the that our God works in that kind of a legalistic way. Uh, so, anyways, we get hung up on this, but baptism is not was not originally in the New Testament as much about getting into heaven or going to hell, right? Because Jesus gets baptized. I don't think anyone was worried about whether he was going to go to hell, right? His salvation was not in question, but yet he still felt the need to get baptized. But that's, of course, the question John the Baptist asks him, right? Right? Matthew 3 here. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, For it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. And hence Jesus launched another several libraries of theologians trying to figure out what in the world the phrase fulfill all righteousness means. I don't have a good answer to it. But I guess the takeaway I want to mention is that Jesus was not getting baptized to avoid eternal punishment, yet he still felt like it was necessary, but it was necessary in a positive way, not to avoid something, but to fulfill something, to accomplish something, to make something happen. His focus was a positive focus. So what we're left with is Jesus doing it, doing something because it had a good purpose and a godly purpose. So let's take another look at the painting here. What do you see when you look at this? There's Jesus. He's totally in the water. He's not in control. He's sinking in, falling with gravity. He's got fish swimming around him. His whole body is under like he was pushed in or he fell off the edge of the dock. The Minnesotan in me sees a person in the water and thinks, fall off the dock, right? Right? or thinks you tried to step into the boat, but you didn't have it anchored. But you can feel the motion in it. You can see the vulnerability. Like he could have been drowned. Nobody's holding his nose. Nobody's got his head carefully held up. It's just him and the fishes and a trust that God the Father is going to pull him out. But in the picture, he could keep going down. It doesn't say. Will he go down more? Will he get up? It's not answered. Future's not set. This is a person going all in, as we say. Right? All in. This painting captures that sense. What we forget about baptism is that baptism carried with it originally this whole notion of teaching. And people did baptisms around. Israel at the time of Jesus and before we found it in the Dead Sea Scrolls if you wanted to join their community out by the Dead Sea You had to get you had to get a baptism But when you were baptized, it wasn't like you just got baptized and then went back to your life You got baptized and you took on a new way of life and part of what you took on Was a teacher who back then would have been called a master. That's the language that was used And then the person who got baptized would be the student, and they would be called the disciple. And so when you got baptized, you were agreeing, in a sense, to join somebody's community, their school of teaching, their movement, and you would do whatever they told you to do. It didn't matter how you felt about the class or the material you memorized and you obeyed because the belief was that you don't have the expertise to be able to say whether they're doing it right or not. There was no (laughs) RateMyMaster.com, right? You you didn't get to go and and go online and complain about how the person who baptized you didn't teach well enough or gave you too bad of a grade. When I used to teach over at Pima, when I would do a class a semester over there, There, I I don't know if anybody even still uses Rate My Professor. Does it even still exist? I don't know, was that like a 2013 thing? I'm sure there's plenty of online forums to bash your faculty. And, uh, but I I actually looked at it. You should never look at people's reviews of yourself. Because I found that I was either the greatest teacher ever or I was a complete waste and total garbage and the worst waste of time that's ever existed. Somehow I kept both of those, you know, intentions somehow. But that wasn't how it worked back then. You just had to put your trust in the person you had to submit because the belief was that you as a student just needed to go through the motions first. For now, you shut up and learn. And so the closest thing I could think of to that kind of thing today is more like, maybe like basic training, Right, you don't have RateMyDrillSergeant.com. you know. <laughs> Sergeant Wise Nikki was so mean to me. She made me run through the mud and wouldn't even help me with the gun. Boo hoo! <laughs> and she's going, well, no, I didn't help you with it, because nobody's going to help you with it when you're out at war, are they? We mold you first, and you will be improved. But you have to trust, right? That's the difference. We don't tend to trust authority, and we don't trust institutions, and we don't tend to trust teachers. But that's what baptism is. You're putting your trust in someone. And that's part of the symbolic part of it, too, right? You would take off your old clothes, and you put on the new clothes that they give you, the new robe. You know? You join the army, they shave your head. At least they used to. There's a symbolic sort of killing off of your old self. That's baptism minus the you're a maggot part. It's a symbolic killing off, washing away of your old self and taking on a new self, a new teacher who will guide you through this new phase of life. But you have to be willing to first put in some trust, you have to go all in. And what's amazing is that Jesus does this with John the Baptist. I mean, he's essentially saying goodbye to the old small-town carpenter self and taking on the yoke of being a student of the crazy prophet guy out howling, living down by the river. It's like Jesus knew that John the Baptist had things to teach him and that to be a real leader, he needed to start with being a real disciple. That before he could tell others to follow, He had to put himself in that position. That before he could preach to people in power, he needed to learn from the guy, the master at preaching to people in power. And to learn what happens when you do it. That before Jesus could be a Messiah, he had to be a disciple. And put his trust in God the Father that it would work. He had to take the plunge, as we say. That's a great phrase. I'd call this painting, Take the Plunge, if it was me, and I was that good of an artist. Because that's what I think of when I think of it, taking the plunge. It's a great saying we use. We use that phrase when we, get, when we talk about getting married. Oh, he's taking the plunge. He's going all in. It's life-changing. It could go bad. You don't know. But you trust. You trust that you are beloved enough by this person that they'll carry you through to a new phase. You're submitting to each other, it's kind of how I like to think of it, submit to each other. I'm not as big into the old way of submitting as they talk about it, but you're putting yourselves in each other's hands. Jesus getting baptized is taking a plunge. But in our world, in our world I find more and more, we're kind of afraid to take the plunge to do much of anything. We do everything with sort of one foot out the door, We go into every relationship with five people still on the dating app. We go into our religions, our spiritualities, with kind of a half commitment. What if something goes wrong? What if there's politics? Well, I'm a pastor, and I can tell you, getting involved in a church eventually will go wrong. We are imperfect. It's made of people like every single organization and group of people everywhere. But if I went into my faith halfway and didn't put my heart into Jesus, I wouldn't experience the depth of the joy of Jesus. Half commitment is half experience. That would be my phrase. Put that over the door. This is where I have to remind myself about what Jesus did whenever I get hung up on the fears that keep me from experiencing God. Because I do believe that the fear of taking a plunge is part of what keeps us away. That fear of being a learner, that I'm gonna to have to be humble and listen. The fear of being vulnerable and putting myself in someone else's hands. The fear of losing what I have and feeling grief about it. You know, it's, it's never the new life we're afraid of. It's not change that we fear. It's, it's giving up what we have. It's taking the plunge. It can be kind of scary. That's why people faint at ceremonies with big commitments. But we get through it because we are beloved. It's being beloved and knowing that we are beloved that allows us to put our trust, that allows us to take the plunge. Amen.